Welcome everybody to Journey here on Wednesday nights. Very grateful that you're here. Uh, go ahead and make sure you're sitting at a table with other people. If you're looking for a table, join one that, that needs some people. Wonderful food tonight, wonderful worship tonight, and man, Ozzy killing it with communion tonight. I mean, for, for not being poetic, that was pretty poetic, and it was pretty powerful too. I love that line, I'm a dead man walking, you know, and that, I mean, that's just the truth of, of who we are as followers of Jesus. Uh, when we turn around and repent and change our lives, we we become new, right? Dead men and women who are now alive. Alive in the spirit of God. Praise God for that. Uh, did I say wonderful worship too? That was, that was amazing. Thank you so much. And you know, you are just as much a part of the worship service as like the, the people leading in worship. And so you guys did phenomenal too. It's, it's, it's just wonderful to be a part of, of what's going on here and what God is doing in this place. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about tonight uh, doing some table talk right off the bat. So I want you to talk to the people around you and discuss the following question. Have you ever experienced rejection? Briefly, describe the experience and the emotions you felt. We're going to get personal tonight. So ready, go. All right, let's bring it back together. Finish the thought. And I want to hear from you. Uh, what were some of the emotions that maybe you felt in the event of being rejected? I just want to hear like from, from a couple of tables. What, just one word. What's an emotion that you felt after being uh, rejected? One word. Broken. All right, right here. How about you guys? Kevin? No? What, what's like one word to describe the experience? Betrayed. Good. Hurt. Embarrassed. What was that? Crushed. Huh? Sad. Angry. Inadequate. Anyone else? One more? Yeah. Hi. Ignored. Less than. It was a few years back, back before baby Zeke, uh, back before Tara and I were married, back before Journey started. Uh, it was way back. We were just juniors in college. Uh, here's a picture of us. Uh, just babies, right? Well, Tara was going to school up at Westmont in uh, Montecito, and I was going to school at California Lutheran University. We were both juniors, and we were at that weird stage in our relationship where it wasn't really a relationship, but it kind of was a relationship. We were exclusive. And I was told by a couple of family members that I would be a big jerk if I decided to go on a date with some other person. And the same probably went for her, uh, hopefully. But we were at this strange spot where we were exclusive in our relationship. But after like some three billion coffee dates, it felt like the natural progression would be to make this exclusive relationship a real relationship. 
And now some of you might regard me as just a, a superior, intelligent human being, right? Like, like just so articulate and intellectual and brilliant, well-learned, well-educated, all of that. Uh, if, if that's not you, I'm going to convince you in just a few moments of my unmatched brilliance. I picked the most perfect time to make this exclusive relationship a real relationship. Smack dab, right smack dab in the middle of her finals week. You know, she had a couple of things going on, studying for exams, trying to memorize, trying to fill her space with all of this information that she needed to pass her exams. I chose the most perfect time. I also picked the most perfect place to make this exclusive relationship a real relationship. A creepy old tavern in the middle of nowhere. No offense, Foss, it was in San Ynez, where he's from. Uh, it was at this place called Cold Springs Tavern, which is absolutely beautiful. All right, you know, you've been there. It's creepy, right? During the daytime, it's absolutely beautiful. This cute, quaint little tavern right there, and it's got ivy growing all over. It's just down this steep ravine. Well, at night, that's not the case. You go down this like rickety old dirt road and you go weaving down some, some just cliffs basically. And then there's this old shack looking building, dimly lit, creepy looking place. The most perfect place, right? I also chose the most perfect topic of conversation to make this exclusive relationship a real relationship. I decided to talk about this guy that she didn't like, but this guy who had told her that God told him that they would be married someday. And that wasn't me. So it's basically kind of like talking about your ex. Like I said, unmatched brilliance. And so here at the most perfect time, in the most perfect place, during the most perfect topic of conversation, I, I asked her, well, do you want to make this exclusive relationship a real relationship? And she said, uh, no. <laughs> now, it wasn't like so blunt, just like that, because she's so nice and let me down easy. No, it's not you, it's me, God, all that, you know, the God card, all those things. And so the ride back to, to her campus at, at Westmont was, was really kind of a bummer. And I remember uh, as she got out of the car and went up to her dorm, as she closed the door, I just thought, man, that sucks. She just rejected me. And as I'm driving home, I, I, I shed like one or two tears. And then I, I have the words of J-Rod resounding in my head. Because we had talked just that day about it. And he said, he said, what do you have to lose, man? What do you have to lose? And I said, uh, everything now. Rejection sucks. And obviously the story changed. But regardless, rejection sucks. If there would be a title for our passage in the Gospel of John tonight, it would be just that. Rejection sucks. Well, last week Dustin talked about how Jesus called himself the bread of life. And how his followers are supposed to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Sounds cray-cray, right? Sounds absolutely nuts. Well, we just did that actually a few moments ago with Ozzy in the celebration of communion. We remembered the body that was broken and the blood that was shed to give us freedom from sin and 
true eternal life. And then we had Dustin's bread rant. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. At the end of his message, he had this whole, whole thing where he was talking about how Jesus is the communion bread. Jesus is the resurrection bread. He's the pumpernickel bread. He's the, the wheat bread, the rye bread. He didn't say any of that. But then he said, like, Jesus is the devil stomping bread. It's powerful. But let's continue tonight in the same vein with John 6. Starting at 60 through 67. If you're able to stand, why don't you stand with me as we honor God by the reading of his word in verse 60. It says, Many of his disciples said, This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, Does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Lord, we come before you tonight, and we want to learn how not to reject you, how to accept you in every aspect of our lives, to look to you, to know you, to serve you, and to love you. And we... We want to be made complete and whole in you tonight. So strengthen us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And do follow along with me, please, in verse 60. So in response to Jesus and his words about people eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Verse 60 says, Many of his disciples said, This is very hard to understand. Now, you could also translate that as this is very difficult to understand or this is very demanding. How can anyone accept it? I mean, it sounds like you're talking about cannibalism here. And then you throw in these abstract concepts of eternal life and such. This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Verse 61, Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. After all, it doesn't take very long to realize when someone is being a complainer. And it's not just by their words, it's by their facial expressions, it's by their, their attitude, it's by the, the way that they carry themselves. Trust me, I know, because I see it in the mirror. My wife told me this morning, she's like, you're just complaining. I'm like, my life is so hard. Anyone ever feel like that? Like your life is the hardest, harder than anybody else's life? You guys are lying right now, come on. Whenever you have like a hangnail, at least this is me, I'm like, dude, my life is so hard. No one ever has to experience life like I do. Maybe I'm just a complainer. But a complainer is easy to spot. It's evident in our body language, our attitude, everything. So Jesus, he said to them, does this offend you or cause you to no longer believe? Or the Greek says, cause you to stumble. 
So apparently some of Jesus' followers here are just realizing now that following him is going to cost them. I mean, it should be expected, right? They do happen to be following the world-changing, culture-challenging, the revolutionary son of God. But, you know, they were offended by Jesus' words. Too graphic, Jesus. Too graphic for our taste. You know, eating flesh and, and drinking blood. That makes me feel uncomfortable. That makes me feel un- uncomfortable and out of my comfort zone. That's challenging to my lifestyle, Jesus. Does this offend you? They say yes by their future upcoming actions. Does this offend you? It's an interesting concept to consider, especially in light of our present day and age, where it kind of seems like just the slightest pin drop offends people. But you know what? I don't think God really cares if you're offended. I don't think that God really cares if you're offended by his love, because he loves you. I don't think that God really cares if you're offended by his cross because he died for you. I don't think that God really cares if you're offended by his word because his way is the true way of life. I don't think God really cares if you're offended by him. Now this doesn't give us the free reign, therefore, to start blatantly offending people just for the sake of offending people. But the gospel is abrasive to our current cultural climate. The gospel is abrasive to our comfort and our comfort zones. The gospel is abrasive to any and every self-centered life. But the task of a follower of Jesus is to love God with everything, to love other people relentlessly, and to live by the word of God. And if that radical love of God, that radical love of people, and that life dedicated to following the will and way of God's word, if that's offensive to people, well, then I'm sorry. But let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation to see how and where and why you might feel offended. Well, if the offended followers of Jesus are offended by this cannibalism chow down that he's been talking about, also known as communion, there's a lot more offense in store. Verse 62 continues, Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? Because after all, that's a whole lot more radical and outlandish than this whole cannibalism chow down, also known as communion ordeal. Maybe you're too offended. But do you realize, verse 63a says, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing in terms of giving eternal life. Sure, human effort can build skyscrapers. We can write books. We could even make money. But all those things are temporary. You know, in uh, about a week's time, a a week from tomorrow, uh, the world is going to celebrate uh, the World Cup. And in in light of the World Cup, uh, there was some breaking news that came out uh, this past week about uh, 
a legendary French footballer, a legendary soccer player named Zinedine Zidane, also known as Zizou. He's French, and uh, maybe you remember in 2006, even if you're not a soccer fan, you may know about this particular incident. During the 2006 World Cup final, he decided at the end to headbutt this Italian player, and he got sent off, and there's actually a statue depicting this as well. But, but Zizou, he, he went on to go and coach one of the, the top clubs in the world called Real Madrid. It's a Spanish club, and he was able to coach them to three straight UEFA Champions League finals. And they, they won three straight. But he stepped down and resigned last week, only after three years of coaching, three championship seasons. But there was something in the article that I was reading about this whole ordeal that just struck me. It went like this. On Wednesday, Zinedine Zidane said, no mas. That means no more. Uh, he walks away from the biggest job in world football and the opportunity to become the first manager to win four straight European Cups. And he does it less than four days after leading Real Madrid to the third consecutive Champion League crown. Blah, 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 right? He echoed the old football maxim whereby if you want to keep winning over time, every few years you either need to change the players or the coach. Blah, 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 blah. Here is the main point. The enormity of walking away while on the verge of further cementing his place in football immortality is staggering. Particularly since this is a team that is built to win here and now. Cementing his place in football immortality. What the H-E double hockey sticks does that mean? Cementing his place in football immortality. First of all, as long-lasting and as permanent as cement may be, cement is not immortal and cement is not eternal. So simply by definition, cementing one's place in football immortality is nonsensical. It does not make sense. But secondly, let me ask you a question here. What's your grandma's name? Just shout it out. Everyone at the same time. I got it. I think I got them all. All right. How about your great-grandma's name? All right. How about your great-great-grandma's name? How about your great-great-great-grandma's name? How about your great-great-great-great-grandma's name? point is, in about 50 years, give or take a couple of decades, everyone you know will be dead. That's a sad way to look at life, but no one will remember you. No one will remember you on earth. Certainly no one will care what kind of job you had. What clothes you wore, what car you drove, what school you went to. And now this can be really terrifying, right? Or it could be reassuring at the same time. Or maybe it's some mix of both. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But 50 years from now, or, or let's be generous, 150 years from now, no one will remember Zizou resigning before cementing his place in football Immortality. After all, there's no such thing as football 
immortality. And I think that this actually speaks directly to our lives. Maybe you're like, why is he talking about soccer? I'm not really talking about soccer. I'm talking about our lives and what's most important and what we think is of value in our lives. Verses 63a through 66 says, The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing in terms of giving eternal life. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, or are spirit-giving and life-producing. Verse 64 says, But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, That is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Rejection sucks. These disciples, they turned away and deserted him. Or the Greek says it more plainly. Many of his disciples went back to what lay behind. Now, I won't blatantly say that these offended disciples went back to a life of sinful self-centeredness. But I know that, that in my own life, when I turn away and when I desert Jesus, when I go back to what lay behind, that has me on a, a trajectory, a, a fast track to sin. So let's do some table talk. How are you rejecting or accepting Jesus in your daily life? And then how can you take steps to accept Jesus daily? His will, his plan, his purpose, his mission, etc. Ready, go. All right, let's bring it back here. That's tough to talk about your, uh, your rejection, isn't it? <laughs> kind of challenging to put it all out there if you are willing to do that. Thanks for doing that. It's hard to be honest sometimes. Especially about our not-so-shining moments like rejection of Jesus. But as sad as this Jesus' rejection is, both ours and then the rejection of these offended disciples, the 12 who Jesus called early on actually have a shining moment of brilliant faithfulness. Verse 67 says, Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, Are you also going to leave? I mean, that's the current trend, right? That's the status quo. That's a popular thing to do. But verse 68 through 69 Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. I just love Simon Peter's response here. It's a confession of faith. It's full of loyalty and it's full of love. A love that's committed and unswerving. You know, in April... I did, uh, I officiated the wedding of one of my best friends. And uh, I had this wonderful privilege to do this. And, and there was this one section that, that I read through during uh, the, the message. And I, I call it, love is what marriage takes. And this is what I said at their wedding. I said, this love isn't always romantic or warm or fuzzy, but it's real, it's authentic, 
and it's worth it, just as it was worth it for God to send his one and only son to die for us, to redeem you and me. That was real and authentic. That was worth it. That love was committed. That love was unswerving. And I turned to, to my buddy Joel. Uh, he's the one in the tux. Uh, and I, I said to him, that's the kind of love that you've shown me, Joel. And I started getting all choked up. And I talked about how there we were as junior high students at winter camp. My mom had made sure that I was equipped with the dorkiest looking hiking boots on the planet. But you let me wear your spare pair of Etnies skate shoes. And all weekend long, I tagged along with you. He was a year older than me, eating junk food and not showering, but I was learning about God. And on the last night, I don't even remember what the speaker was talking about, but I felt something grab my heart and lead me up during the altar call. And as I went up to go accept Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior, I remember there was a moment where I stopped and I was just panic-stricken. I looked back at Joel and I'm like, I asked him, Joel, aren't you coming? He just looked at me and laughed. He said, I've already done this, man. Then I I said to him, you are the precursor, the forerunner, the older brother I never had who helped me to understand the changes that I was experiencing as I became a follower of Jesus. I said, it was you who picked me up every single day in high school. At 7 a.m., I'd hear the subwoofers of your jet black Dodge Dakota pickup bumping some M&M or 50 Cent rolling down Golden Ridge Court. It was you who told me you'll be a pastor someday. It's you who's been committed and unswerving in your love. And then I turned to, to the bride, Ashley, and I said, but then I met Ashley. And wow. Committed and unswerving are complete understatements. Joel is is great, but Jesus is your everything. And since Jesus is your everything, you love Joel better than you ever could if he was your everything. The way you stood by Joel through radiation and a 20-hour taking gum out of hair piece by piece brain tumor surgery was incredible. You saw and did things that no one else knows about. Things so trying and challenging, but you did it. Committed and unswerving love. And now I think about Joel and Ashley when I hear the words of Simon Peter here. Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. I think about Joel and Ashley when I hear the committed and unswerving love in the words of Simon Peter, but you know what? I also, I also hear that when I think about the people of Journey the Church. I hear that, that heartbeat within the words of Simon Peter, committed unswerving love. Verses 70 and 71, but before I even go there, I mean, the committed unswerving love that I, I see and experience, you know, has just been overwhelming. Yeah, we had the whole ordeal with the NICU and baby Zeke and all of that. And just seeing the outpouring of love of this church, like, it's been phenomenal. I mean, guys and, and girls brought us dinner and we're, we're just like, I can't even begin to talk about all the things that, that you guys all did for us. Some people cleaned our house. Uh, which was a complete mess because we left in the middle of just, like, chaos. Uh, people got us, like, laundry detergent. 
Uh, people like took care of our dog. I mean, it was just insane the, the amount of love and support that we experienced. It felt like, man, we had like a whole army behind us. And that's the truth, right? Um, but I know that that is not just true for me. I know and I hope that's true for you as well, that you would feel that committed, unswerving love behind you as you go and do battle outside too. And if you don't feel that, well, uh, stick around, you know, or let us know because we want to support you and help you accomplish the mission that God has placed on your life. Verses 70 and 71 uh, continues here. Then Jesus said, I chose the 12 of you, but one is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the 12 who would later betray him. You know, we could get into all the complexities of did, did Jesus know that this one Judas would betray him? And does that mean that Judas was set up? Was he doomed or was he given over to his own sinful nature? But I just want to draw the obvious connection here, the obvious line here that Jesus again will suffer rejection and betrayal. Rejection sucks. And it may sound like a guilt trip right here, but uh, how many times has Jesus suffered rejection and betrayal by our own hands? Oh, man, that one hurts, right? I mean... How many times has he suffered rejection and betrayal by our own hands just like today? That's like hard enough to deal with. But glory be to God. Because even in the face of our rejection, even in the face of our betrayal, God pours out his love. God will not reject you. God will not abandon you. God will not forsake you. So may we live in such a way that our actions and words and thoughts testify to that reality. That God, we will not reject you. God, we will not abandon you. God, we will not forsake you. Amen? Mediocre amen. I must have given you like a beat down right there with that convicting uh, statement. Trust me, man. Like these statements that I... That Man, they, they hit us just as much, if not more, you know, because we're the ones who actually have to say these words to people, you know, and you guys are so receptive. So thanks for doing that. We are walking through this together and trying not to reject Jesus, try to accept Jesus in every facet of our lives. Here's our takeaway for tonight. Live your life in such a way that you live for things lasting and eternal Live your life in such a way that you take steps to accept Jesus daily. Live your life in such a way that you are committed and unswerving in your love. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you do not reject us. That you do not forsake us. That you do not abandon us. But Lord, you love us and you chase after us with your reckless love. You hunt us down. And we thank you for that. We thank you that your love is committed and unswerving. And we pray that our love would be committed and unswerving too. That our love for you would increase. 
that we would live for things eternal, that we would put focus and stock in our eternal life because that's what really matters. And Lord, we would love people around us relentlessly, awkwardly even. And Lord, that we would live according to your word. That we wouldn't just follow the popular opinion of our world. But God, that we would in our each individual lives seek to do your will and love you and serve you. That we would love you and love people and just love life. That's the kind of people we want to be. We want to be the church, shining and bright. So help us, Lord, with our insecurities. Help us with the things that we feel anxious about. And Lord, would we live to serve you just one more day. For we know at the end, the prize is beyond belief. It's you, God. And that's all we want. We love you and we praise you. So send us out with boldness and fire to go and love this world one person at a time. Wholeheartedly, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. All right, let's bring it back here. That's tough to talk about your, uh, your rejection, isn't it? <laughs> kind of challenging to put it all out there if you were willing to do that. Thanks for doing that. It's hard to be honest sometimes. Especially about our not-so-shining moments like rejection of Jesus. But as sad as this Jesus rejection is, both ours and then the rejection of these offended disciples, the 12 who Jesus called early on actually have a shining moment of brilliant faithfulness. Verse 67 says, Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, Are you also going to leave? I mean, that's the current trend, right? That's the status quo. That's a popular thing to do. But verse 68 through 69 Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. I just love Simon Peter's response here. It's a confession of faith. It's full of loyalty and it's full of love. A love that's committed and unswerving. You know, in April... I did, uh, I officiated the wedding of one of my best friends. And uh, I had this wonderful privilege to do this. And, and there was this one section that, that I read through during uh, the, the message. And I, I call it, love is what marriage takes. And this is what I said at their wedding. I said, this love isn't always romantic or warm or fuzzy, but it's real, it's authentic, and it's worth it, just as it was worth it for God to send his one and only son to die for us, to redeem you and me. That was real and authentic. That was worth it. That love was committed. That love was unswerving. And I, I turned to, to my buddy Joel. Uh, he's the one in the tux. Uh, and I, I said to him, that's the kind of love that you've shown me, Joel. And I started getting all choked up. And I talked about how there we were as junior high students at winter camp. 
My mom had made sure that I was equipped with the dorkiest looking hiking boots on the planet, but you let me wear your spare pair of Etnies skate shoes. And all weekend long, I tagged along with you. He was a year older than me, eating junk food and not showering, but I was learning about God. And on the last night, I don't even remember what the speaker was talking about, but I felt something grab my heart and lead me up during the altar call. And as I went up to go accept Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior, I remember there was a moment where I stopped and I was just panic-stricken. I looked back at Joel and I'm like, I asked him, Joel, aren't you coming? He just looked at me and laughed. He said, I've already done this, man. Then I, I said to him, you are the precursor, the forerunner, the older brother I never had who helped me to understand the changes that I was experiencing as I became a follower of Jesus. I said, it was you who picked me up every single day in high school. At 7 a.m., I'd hear the subwoofers of your jet black Dodge Dakota pickup bumping some M&M or 50 Cent rolling down Golden Ridge Court. It was you who told me you'll be a pastor someday. It's you who's been committed and unswerving in your love. And then I turned to to the bride, Ashley, and I said, but then I met Ashley. And wow, committed and unswerving are complete understatements. Joel is, is great, but Jesus is your everything. And since Jesus is your everything, you love Joel better than you ever could if he was your everything. The way you stood by Joel through radiation and a 20-hour taking gum out of hair piece by piece brain tumor surgery was incredible. You saw and did things that no one else knows about. Things so trying and challenging, but you did it. Committed and unswerving love. And now I think about Joel and Ashley when I hear the words of Simon Peter here. Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. I think about Joel and Ashley when I hear the committed and unswerving love in the words of Simon Peter. But you know what? I also, I also hear that when I think about the people of Journey the Church. I hear that, that heartbeat within the words of Simon Peter, committed and unswerving love. Verses 70 and 71, but before I even go there, I mean, the committed unswerving love that I I see and experience, you know, has just been overwhelming. Uh, Yeah, we had the whole ordeal with the NICU and baby Zeke and all of that, and just seeing the outpouring of love of this church, like, it's been phenomenal. I mean, guys and and girls brought us dinner, and we're we're just like, I can't even begin to talk about all the things that, that you guys all did for us. Some people cleaned our house, uh, which was a complete mess because we left in the middle of just like chaos. Uh, People got us like laundry detergent. Uh, People like took care of our dog. I mean, it was just insane the the amount of love and support that we experienced. It felt like, man, we had like a whole army behind us. And that's the truth, right? Um, But I know that that is not just true for me. I know and I hope that's true for you as well, that you would feel that committed, unswerving love behind you as you go and do battle outside too. And if you don't feel that, well, uh, stick around, you know, or let us know, because we want to support you 
and help you accomplish the mission that God has placed on your life. Verses 70 and 71 uh, continues here. Then Jesus said, I chose the 12 of you, but one is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the 12 who would later betray him. You know, we could get into all the complexities of did, did Jesus know that this one Judas would betray him? And does that mean that Judas was set up? Was he doomed or was he given over to his own sinful nature? But I just want to draw the obvious connection here, the obvious line here, that Jesus again will suffer rejection and betrayal. Rejection sucks. And it may sound like a guilt trip right here, but uh, how many times has Jesus suffered rejection and betrayal by our own hands? Oh, man, that one hurts, right? I mean, how many times has he suffered rejection and betrayal by our own hands just like today? That's like hard enough to deal with. But glory be to God. Because even in the face of our rejection, even in the face of our betrayal, God pours out his love. God will not reject you. God will not abandon you. God will not forsake you. So may we live in such a way that our actions and words and thoughts testify to that reality. That God, we will not reject you. God, we will not abandon you. God, we will not forsake you. Amen? Mediocre amen. I must have given you like a beat down right there with that convicting uh, statement. Trust me, man. Like these statements that, I, that man, they, they hit us just as much, if not more. You know, because we're the ones who actually have to say these words to people, you know. And you guys are so receptive. So thanks for doing that. We are walking through this together and trying not to reject Jesus. Try to accept Jesus in every facet of our lives. Here's our takeaway for tonight. Live your life in such a way that you live for things lasting and eternal. Live your life in such a way that you take steps to accept Jesus daily. Live your life in such a way that you are committed and unswerving in your love. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you do not reject us, that you do not forsake us, that you do not abandon us. But, Lord, you love us and you chase after us with your reckless love. You hunt us down. And we thank you for that. We thank you that your love is committed and unswerving, and we pray that our love would be committed and unswerving too. That our love for you would increase, that we would live for things eternal, that we would put focus and stock in our eternal life because that's what really matters. And Lord, we would love people around us relentlessly, awkwardly even, and Lord, that we would live according to your word. That we wouldn't just follow the popular opinion of our world. But God, that we would in our each individual lives 
seek to do your will and love you and serve you. That we would love you and love people and just love life. That's the kind of people we want to be. We want to be the church, shining and bright. So help us, Lord, with our insecurities. Help us with the things that we feel anxious about. And Lord, would we live to serve you just one more day. For we know at the end, the prize is beyond belief. It's you, God. And that's all we want. We love you and we praise you. So send us out with boldness and fire to go and love this world one person at a time. Wholeheartedly, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. All right, let's bring it back here. That's tough to talk about your, uh, your rejection, isn't it? Kind of challenging to put it all out there if you were willing to do that. Thanks for doing that. It's hard to be honest sometimes. Especially about our not-so-shining moments like rejection of Jesus. But as sad as this Jesus rejection is, both ours and then the rejection of these offended disciples, the 12 who Jesus called early on actually have a shining moment of brilliant faithfulness. Verse 67 says, Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, Are you also going to leave? I mean, that's the current trend, right? That's the status quo. That's a popular thing to do. But verse 68 through 69 Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. I just love Simon Peter's response here. It's a confession of faith. It's full of loyalty and it's full of love. A love that's committed and unswerving. You know, in April... I did, uh, I officiated the wedding of one of my best friends. And uh, I had this wonderful privilege to do this. And, and there was this one section that, that I read through during uh, the, the message. And I, I call it, love is what marriage takes. And this is what I said at their wedding. I said, this love isn't always romantic or warm or fuzzy, but it's real, it's authentic, and it's worth it, just as it was worth it for God to send his one and only son to die for us, to redeem you and me. That was real and authentic. That was worth it. That love was committed. That love was unswerving. And I, I turned to, to my buddy Joel. Uh, he's the one in the tux. Uh, and I, I said to him, that's the kind of love that you've shown me, Joel. And I started getting all choked up. And I talked about how there we were as junior high students at winter camp. My mom had made sure that I was equipped with the dorkiest looking hiking boots on the planet. But you let me wear your spare pair of Etnies skate shoes. And all weekend long, I tagged along with you. He was a year older than me, eating junk food and not showering, but I was learning about God. And on the last night, I don't even remember what the speaker was talking about, but I felt something grab my heart and lead me up during the altar call. And as I went up to go accept Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior, I remember there was a moment where I stopped and I was just panic-stricken. I looked back at Joel and I'm like, 
I asked him, Joel, aren't you coming? He just looked at me and laughed. He said, I've already done this, man. Then I, I said to him, you are the precursor, the forerunner, the older brother I never had who helped me to understand the changes that I was experiencing as I became a follower of Jesus. I said, it was you who picked me up every single day in high school. At 7 a.m., I'd hear the subwoofers of your jet black Dodge Dakota pickup bumping some M&M or 50 Cent rolling down Golden Ridge Court. It was you who told me you'll be a pastor someday. It's you who's been committed and unswerving in your love. And then I turned to, to the bride, Ashley, and I said, but then I met Ashley. And wow, committed and unswerving are complete understatements. Joel is, is great, but Jesus is your everything. And since Jesus is your everything, you love Joel better than you ever could if he was your everything. The way you stood by Joel through radiation and a 20-hour taking gum out of hair piece by piece brain tumor surgery was incredible. You saw and did things that no one else knows about. Things so trying and challenging, but you did it. Committed and unswerving love. And now I think about Joel and Ashley when I hear the words of Simon Peter here. Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. I think about Joel and Ashley when I hear the committed and unswerving love in the words of Simon Peter. But you know what? I also, I also hear that when I think about the people of Journey the Church. I hear that, that heartbeat within the words of Simon Peter, committed and unswerving love. Verses 70 and 71, but before I even go there, I mean, the committed, unswerving love that I, I see and experience, you know, has just been overwhelming. Uh, yeah, we had the whole ordeal with the NICU and baby Zeke and all of that, and just seeing the outpouring of love of this church, like, it's been phenomenal. I mean, guys and, and girls brought us dinner, and we're, we're just like, I can't even begin to talk about all the things that, that you guys all did for us. Some people cleaned our house, uh, which was a complete mess because we left in the middle of just like chaos. Uh, people got us like laundry detergent. Uh, people like took care of our dog. I mean, it was just insane the, the amount of love and support that we experienced. It felt like, man, we had like a whole army behind us. And that's the truth, right? Um, but I know that that is not just true for me. I know and I hope that's true for you as well, that you would feel that committed, unswerving love behind you as you go and do battle outside too. And if you don't feel that, well, uh, stick around, you know, or let us know because we want to support you and help you accomplish the mission that God has placed on your life. Verses 70 and 71 uh, continues here. Then Jesus said, I chose the 12 of you, but one is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the 12 who would later betray him. You know, we could get into all the complexities of did, did Jesus know that this one Judas would betray him? And does that mean that Judas was set up? Was he doomed or was he given over to his own sinful nature? But I just want to draw the obvious connection here, the obvious line here. 
that Jesus again will suffer rejection and betrayal. Rejection sucks. And it may sound like a guilt trip right here, but uh, how many times has Jesus suffered rejection and betrayal by our own hands? Oh, man, that one hurts, right? I mean, how many times has he suffered rejection and betrayal by our own hands just like today? That's like hard enough to deal with. But glory be to God. Because even in the face of our rejection, even in the face of our betrayal, God pours out his love. God will not reject you. God will not abandon you. God will not forsake you. So may we live in such a way that our actions and words and thoughts testify to that reality. That God, we will not reject you. God, we will not abandon you. God, we will not forsake you. Amen? Mediocre amen. I must have given you like a beat down right there with that convicting uh, statement. Trust me, man. Like these statements that, I, that man, they, they hit us just as much, if not more. You know, because we're the ones who actually have to say these words to people, you know. And you guys are so receptive. So thanks for doing that. We are walking through this together and trying not to reject Jesus, try to accept Jesus in every facet of our lives. Here's our takeaway for tonight. Live your life in such a way that you live for things lasting and eternal. Live your life in such a way that you take steps to accept Jesus daily. Live your life in such a way that you are committed and unswerving in your love. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you do not reject us, that you do not forsake us, that you do not abandon us. But, Lord, you love us and you chase after us with your reckless love. You hunt us down. And we thank you for that. We thank you that your love is committed and unswerving, and we pray that our love would be committed and unswerving too. That our love for you would increase, that we would live for things eternal, that we would put focus and stock in our eternal life because that's what really matters. And Lord, we would love people around us relentlessly, awkwardly even, And Lord, that we would live according to your word. That we wouldn't just follow the popular opinion of our world. But God, that we would in our each individual lives seek to do your will and love you and serve you. That we would love you and love people and just love life. That's the kind of people we want to be. We want to be the church shining and bright. So help us, Lord, with our insecurities. Help us with the things that we feel anxious about. And Lord, would we live to serve you just one more day. For we know at the end, the prize is beyond belief. It's you, God. And that's all we want. We love you and we praise you. So send us out with boldness and fire to go and love this world one person at a time. 